You're listening to Local Government Insights, a podcast for state and local governments. If you're looking to optimize operations, improve services for your constituents, and maximize revenue without raising taxes, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Local Government Insights podcast, Modernizing Government Leadership, your source and insight for local government technology. My name is Brendan Middleton, and today we have with us Adam Probolski, public opinion researcher and president of Probolski Research, here with us to discuss how opinion research can inform policy decisions. Welcome to the show, Adam. It's great to have you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brendan. Really appreciate it. So real briefly before we dive in, Adam, I just want to give a quick update to those listening. Uh, Adam is a California-based public opinion researcher who leads a firm um, who has done work across the nation for governments, corporate, nonprofit, and election clients. His team's opinion research on the 2021 California gubernatorial recall was highly cited in news outlets across the country, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But much of Adam's work with government clients focuses on surveying a community to help local lawmakers make policy decisions. So with that, Adam, one of the first things I just want to start out with today is, can you just share with us how opinion research for governments is conducted and why it's so important? Sure. So uh, there's certainly uh, times where we are doing work for local government that is election related um, to kind of understand what's going to happen with, a, say, a ballot measure. But a lot of the time it's really surrounding cu customer satisfaction or how the residents feel about services uh, and trying to understand that dynamic of how the residents are thinking and relating to city hall or the county hall administration or whatever special district we're talking about. Their uh, understanding and their interest and their happiness is pretty important um, to policymakers and staff. And having a clear understanding of what they think and their a beat on that is really helpful in that process. Uh, it, it's not mandatory, right? But government's been doing this sort of thing for a long time and, and not doing polling around it, but it really can be helpful in that making policy part. Wonderful. And, and I want to point out the difference in my next question between sort of the, the ratings of federal, how people view federal government versus local government. I want to make that clear distinction here. But uh, even as late as a couple of weeks ago, the Washington Post reported that since 1964, uh, Americans have given a steadily declining sort of positive rating um, on the, the public trust in our federal government. Um, have you seen this same dynamic at the local level? And are, are local governments doing a different or better job sort of maintaining public support and how that connects itself to opinion research? So, yes, local government has consistently maintained higher levels of uh, trust and satisfaction. Um, but I will say that there was a precipitous drop in all trust and all satisfaction with government starting about, you know, about six or well, let's say about seven years ago. Um, and there was just this general flavor. And we, we've seen a lot of it, attacks on institutions in America, um, you know, just suggesting that that those institutions are not, you know, trustworthy and not viable and, and um, are not like we used to look at them. 
And so uh, those numbers really flattened out where it used to be, you know, local government, state legislature, state legislatures, and then, you know, Congress was down here, you know, um, those numbers flattened significantly. We've seen a separation starting to happen in the last couple of years, uh, an improvement for local government. Uh, a better uh, a better outlook for local government. And uh, that's certainly encouraging from our client standpoint because we, we work with a lot of local and uh, regional agencies. Uh, but but yeah, it's kind of gone through a little bit of a roller coaster recently. And certainly the topic we're here to discuss has a, an impact on that at, at the local level, I would deem more than the, the, the federal level. But what's different from your perspective, Adam? Like, what is it that local government specifically, and you can connect it to public opinion research, um, but what are they doing differently that helps build that public support that the federal government can sort of learn from? Well, our research shows that people, first of all, feel better connected to their local communities. It's not hard to, um, you know, in a lot of places, you know, I know the mayor. You know, he, he his kids go to school with my kids, you know, uh, so so there's kind of that already. It's hard to hate on uh, an agency or hate on an elected official that you have a personal connection to. Uh, and and also there's a real physical connection in a lot of cases. So whether it's uh, a park that I go to and it's you know, run by my city or or a trail system that I walk on and or or some other personal physical connection I have. Obviously, there's physical connections to federal lands, uh, you know, national parks and things like that. But the day to day, day to day, I'm connected to my local government. Uh, and so it's much easier for me to trust them. Also, you know, I can go on not that people really do this very often, but I can go on my city's website and look at their agenda and with relative, you know, amount of, uh, you know, relatively understand what they're doing. You know, they're going to spend $20 million resurfacing the road. I can kind of understand that. And it sounds somewhat logical. It's really hard for me to go on the federal record and find some $200 billion expenditure for, you know, some massive amalgamated spending bill and understand anything about it. So there's just a lot more understandability about what local and regional government do and much more related to me versus billion, hundreds of billions of dollars in spending expenditures that I can't understand. And, and what are some of those top issues from your perspective that concern the general public about how their local government operates and how certain things can influence decision making? So we are in a moment where uh, the talk of corruption and transparency are big. Those big two words are used really often. And yeah. those of us who are involved in, in government in general and public policy and even politics, we know that corruption in the true sense of I give you money and you do something for me does not happen on the daily basis. And when it does happen in those rare cases, those people go to prison, right? We know that we, we can point out those times when that happened and they went to prison. Um, so, but from a public standpoint, there's a lot of talk about corruption and and there's a, a lack of understanding about how it really gets, you know, real policy make gets made. And so I think there's a real job on our part is to educate on, on what that means. And transparency, um, 
we know that virtually every decision in government is publicly published, especially in local government. It's on the city's website. It's on the special district's website. Um, you can go to the meeting. It's a public meeting. You can you can speak your mind about this expenditure or or any of the sort of things. Um, so so can local government do a better job at kind of uh, you know explaining things a little bit better or putting some more detail in certain cases? Sure. But really, it's an education process where we have to not only say we're being transparent, but explain what that means and say we're already doing it. And you tell us what else you want, but we're really doing it in a big way um, and, and explain the difference. And part of it is a media narrative that we don't control, you know, and, and we should do a better job at that. If I'm a PIO, I want to have an annual meeting with, with every potential reporter and that's covering my agency and say, look, you know, these are the big themes that we're seeing. Transparency is big. Let me tell you all the things we do for transparency. And you tell me if there's something else you think we need. But really kind of make sure the media understands that narrative and they don't get away with, you know, they're not being transparent. Sure. So, Adam, next I want to talk about the specifics of how you capture the data and then how you distill that data down into a, a, a digestible and impactful way that can be absorbed by the local government and then make policy decisions off of that. So I know that we, we talked a little bit earlier about the polling process and I want to get a little specific here. Like how often would you suggest local governments use polling and how does that happen? Like what are the, the specific tactics that you your firm uses and then how do you distill that information down into a usable format for governments? Sure. So you're asking the pollster how often you should poll, and I'll tell you every day. Uh, <laughs> but the, the truth is, uh, any political subdivision, city, county, special district, whatever it is, even a regional agency, um, you know, there's logic to polling on an annual basis to get a sense of your public. Um, there's also logic to doing it on, a, on an incremental basis when you have a big project, like you're building a big sewer treatment plant or you're trying to, uh, you know, do some other big meaty thing. Uh, you're going to raise taxes or a levy or something like that. So there's those incremental moments where you're going to inflection points where you're going to want to do it. Um, so but, but typically annual basis and some agencies have kind of a biannual or some other interval. And that's OK. It depends on budget oftentimes. Um, but the actual functional process of doing a statistically valid uh, survey or poll is uh, is really important. And, and we understand that some there are smaller agencies that don't have budgets. And so we. You know, we think all data is is useful in some capacity. So if you say, look, you know, I don't have any money for polling. Well, great. You should add, ask some questions with SurveyMonkey or Google Forms and get information. But the truth is most public agencies have the resources to do some kind of statistically valid work, which costs tens of thousands of dollars typically. Could be a lot more, but in the tens of thousands, 10, 20, 30,000. Here's how the process works. Um, we have to meet people, meet the public, whether it's residents or voters, we need to meet them where they are. And if you yeah. think about your own life um, or the people surrounding you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that only talks on the phone, which is very weird or odd. But most people, you know, communicate by text message, by email, by, yeah. by you know, Discord or WhatsApp or whatever it is. Um, and, and they're on social media. 
And so we tend to meet the public where they are. So we definitely call people and we have to or, or let them call in, let them use their landline, let them use their mobile phone because that's how they're used to doing it. But for the most part, the vast majority of us talk on, on, on some kind of, you know, other digital format. So, you know, we text people uh, a link to, to join a survey. We email them the same kind of a thing. Um, and we might even recruit them, depending on the type of survey we're doing, by very um, geo-fenced uh, uh, social media ads or other kind of ads. So we'll say only in, you know, Independence, Missouri, we want to get people who are going to you know, potentially click through and answer a survey uh, and see an ad on, let's say, Facebook or Instagram uh, or obviously email, call them, text them. Uh, and there's other things like direct mail, which sounds kind of crazy in 2022, but yeah. it's really effective. And it's kind of important in reaching some of the kind of digital divide, you know, breaching that where where you're 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 maybe missing some people that aren't necessarily spending their day to day time on on Facebook or, or uh, Instagram or whatever it might be. So there's all those tools that we have available to us, and they all come into the mix of getting a fully representative sample. So, um, you know, our job is to make sure we are very fully representative. If it's voters, I want to make sure I match the turnout model. So based on age and gender and party and all those different things. If it's residents, I want to make sure we're matching it based on all those demographics but you know, including like race and ethnicity and, and preferred language and income and all those things to make sure we are being fully inclusive. Um, and uh, we call it kind of the big warm hug. And the idea is we don't wanna have any part of the community left out uh, because their voice is important. And we don't want policymakers to say, well, wait a second, you, know, you didn't get you know, this group of people. Uh, and so it can't be accurate. And we don't want the public to say that. So it's our job to be fully reflective of that community. And it's it's not easy, um, you know, matching all those demographics and geography also based on, let's say, council district or soup district or uh, commissioner district or what it might be or some other delineator. Like some communities say, we look at ourselves north and south of Maine. Great. We can make sure we've got the right number of people north and south of Maine. That's fantastic. In in. In the different channels that you mentioned earlier, I'm curious, are you seeing a trend across whether it be direct mail, email, all the different social media apps? Like, are you seeing response rates and effectiveness uh, trend in a certain direction up or down for various channels over, over the last 10 years or so in your experience? Uh, so sure. So 10 years ago, I was largely calling you at dinner time. And, you know, trying to get you to, to break away and talk to my, you know, talk to me uh, because, you know, obviously we had uh, other means. We had mobiles and things like that. But that was mostly, we're mostly mobile, mostly phones. Um, now, uh, and this might sound crazy to some people, but I can call you on your way to work and, and you're driving as long as you're safe and your hands free. We can do a survey with you. Or I can talk to you while you're walking the dog because you've got your AirPods in. And, and so um, the truth is, yes, phones have kind of generally, though, come down because we're much more digitally tuned in. Um, but, uh, but really, it depends on the community. So in a lot of places, um, in some places, phones are, are much more relative and much more relevant um, versus in some places, let's say from a, a, it's not just age, but depending on the community, um, let's say there's, you know, 
normally we'll get, let's say, maybe 10% landlines. In some places where it's a much older place, we might get 15 or so percent landlines, everybody else on mobile. Um, yeah, Facebook is a great way to get people who are 40 and over. Um, not the best place to get people who are younger. So in depending on the communities we're in, uh, the trend is to go to some other mode besides um, uh, so, some other mode besides um, uh, besides you know Facebook and social media. So it, it really just depends on the community. But yes, the 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 point is that you know we're 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 changing demographically, and yep. and and we 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 follow those trends, and we just meet people where they're at. Um, you know, the truth is direct mail doesn't reach younger people so well either. So that's a demographic that we really have to kind of figure out how to meet depending on the community. I think it, it's fantastic that we called that out because oftentimes we all know that government is often well behind the, the private sector in terms of strategies and tactics and communication channels. And I think it's important to, to point out that governments of all sizes should em embrace the digital deluge, like embrace the way that your community and your citizens are engaging with you today, whereas it was totally different 10 years ago and embrace this, this, the shift in how citizens expect to be communicated with and expect to be engaged with from a digital standpoint versus a direct mail or direct call. And, your effectiveness on how you gather data will be impacted substantially if you give into that. Um, so I, I appreciate you pointing that out. By the way, it's one of the questions we almost always ask is how do you want to be communicated with? And it's oftentimes very different than the, and you, the, uh, you know, once a month newsletter, the city or the once a year newsletter, the city puts out, you know, it's, it's some, a lot of y'all have 20, 30% say text message. And then all of a sudden the city's got to figure out, well, how do we do that? Uh, because yeah. you've got a big constituency that wants to talk to you that way. That's fantastic. So Adam, let's talk about, we talked about just generally speaking, how do we gather data, why it's important, why it's important to be inclusive and representation of, have a representation of your entire community. But within that, let's talk about controversial policy for a moment. So I want to better understand from your perspective, like when a city or a municipality or county is, is looking to introduce what they already know ahead of time as controversial policy. Um, how can public opinion research be used to better introduce it to their citizens, better execute it? And is there any value and what is the value with this type of data when it comes to marketing this policy that they already know is going to be controversial on the front end? So we're talking here about passing a new tax or levy. We're talking about building some sort of, you know, building a, 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 a dump you know, a, 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 uh, for, for trash recycling or a transfer station. We're talking about uh, a, a pipe, you know, pipeline tearing up streets for, for some sort of a, a big well or whatever it might be. Something that is going to yeah. be uncomfortable for me as a resident. Uh, and, and so, or, or, or just generally, you know, unpopular. And uh, the, the idea and the smart approach to that is to get an understanding of baseline. Where do we stand today? Do they do they support or oppose it? And then, what are the attributes of this project? What are the attributes of this tax? You know that that um, might make it more or less palatable. So your your taxes are going up. I don't like it. Okay, but what do I get out of it? Okay, I get you know twelve new cops. I get fourteen new firefighters, and I get you know uh, a new city hall. Well, you know I like the cops and firefighters. 
I couldn't care less about your city hall. Like you, you got to use the old bathroom. I don't care, you know, or whatever it might be. And, and so, um, you know, we just did a project working on a project up in new England, uh, a new, uh, water treatment plant and, you know, my water works fine. You know, well, why do we need a new one? Well, we actually had some boil uh, notices in the last couple of years. And if we don't do something, there's no backup and we could be out of water for months if, if we don't do something. So we talk through those things in a polling format. We ask the question, does this make you more or less likely to support the, the, the treatment plant, the tax, the levy, whatever it might be? And we identify those, those characteristics. The cynic will say, you're just trying to sell me on something. You know, you're just trying to find out what I think and sell me on something. And to some degree, you know, there's some validity to that. But the, the, the reality is, from a policy standpoint, the city or agency is just trying to advance the ball. And yes, this is the best uh, policy we have, the, the idea that we have to make things better. And we're trying to figure out how to get from here to there. Um, and so they want to understand what the public thinks baseline what the different attributes, or we call them features and benefits, um, yep. what they, how that moves people. And then we retest again. We ask the question again, based on what you know now. Because at City Hall, you know, we call it in the building. In the building, you live and breathe this issue. You know everything about it. You've seen everything from the elevations to the, to the, you know, the biology to, to the, the, the financial reporting. You know this stuff. But from a public standpoint, all they right. hear is tax. All they hear is, is new building. So we've got to figure out how to break it down in a way that we can communicate about it and, and communicate effectively. And so in addition to the attributes, we also figure out where people get their news and information. Are you spending more time on online or, or in the local newspaper or local newspaper online? Do you watch local TV? Is there even a chance that we can get this story on local TV? In a lot of places, you know, local TV is covering every little detail about, about, about you know, county hall administration. It, where I come from, I live in a place where there's 3 million people, Orange County, California, and we don't have a single news a newscaster that covers this, this county because we're in the shadow of Los Angeles. So sure. it's, kind of, it's kind of weird depending on the environment you're in, but you got to figure out where people get their news and information. And in the end, you're able to, to craft a message that is relevant to your public and is hopefully going to make them aware of the situation. The truth is, especially with a tax or a levy, uh, or even sometimes a fee, depending on what, what's, on, let's say, maybe even a ballot, the agency can't necessarily advocate if it's going to be on an election, right? They can't say you've, you should vote yes. Um, right. But they can certainly educate the public on what the dynamics are of a yes or a no vote. Um, and when it comes to just projects that, that they're just trying to get a beat on and understanding on, um, you, you know, it really gives that clear picture to policymakers uh, of, of how to get from here to there and what their public thinks. And sometimes we find that it just ain't going to fly. We find that the public isn't on board, even though it's the right thing to do. You sometimes have policymakers say, you know what, we're going to take a few steps back, take a year or two to talk to them about this process, do some more community meetings, whatever it is that we've got to do to bring people on board. Um, even though it's the smart policy decision, if you don't have the public support, there's times where you need to take a step back. And that's part of our job, too. I don't love when I get to, when I have to do that say, look, you don't get to do the right thing, but, but sometimes we have to tell our clients that. That's wonderful. And what, what stands out for me there is communication and education. 
and and short term versus long term. Oftentimes when we talk about controversial topics, like it's getting the, the, the general public or citizen to think what how does this decision today impact my community 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? And why does it make sense for me to think positively about investing now for then? What is it? What is it? What do I care about the next 10, 15, 30 years? Right. So I think it's important the work that you do because and I'd love to spend just a minute on this, if you don't mind, like how you can position the types of questions through the polling that help not only gather data, but influence and educate through the way you position the questions and how you gather the data, I think is probably super critical in your line of work that the way you structure the questions in terms of how the attempt to gather data that influences the policy, but the way you structure it can certainly have an effect on how you get people to think and how you get people to respond to what you had them think in the position that you took with the way that the questions and um, the way it was, was structured. What are your thoughts on that? And how does that so, go into the whole process? Yeah. So uh, one of the biggest criticism you'll, you'll hear about any research tool is it was biased, right? They asked those questions in a way that they were trying to get an answer and, and, uh, and we, we smile a little bit about it, but we've got to be responsive, right? We've got to be respectful of, of those criticisms. Yeah. And one of the ways I explain is we absolutely want to get a baseline understanding, you know, outside of influence of what people think. And we also want to ask questions that are, uh, you can call them leading or biased or, 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 or um, even push people. You know, to, to the, it's not a push ball, which is a whole different thing, but even kind of like, like move people towards one direction or the other. And the reason to ask those questions is because we live in the real world. And, and if, if, if I'm, you know, supportive, you know, out in the public and I support or oppose that new cross county highway, you know, I'm going to say to my neighbor, you know, well, let me tell you something, you know, my commute would be cut in half if we got this new highway in place and life is going to be better and we'll be safer for evacuations in case of, you know, wildfires and life's going to be great, you know, and then you're going to hear on the other side, you know, hell no, they're going to take the Johnson's farm and they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to go through, you know, we're going to run through people's backyards and, and it's going to be crappy for all those folk and, and it's not going to be fun. I want to know how people feel about those, both those arguments that are maybe incongruent, maybe even charged, right? Really kind of, um, you know, pretty, pretty serious kind of words sometimes, but we need to know how those, those messages are going to play. And so, so yeah, if you have one or the other position, you might look at a, those questions and say, you know, oh boy, you know, they, they, they got this wrong. Um, but the truth is we ask questions intentionally to try to understand how those messages will be influencing people and, and if it moves people or not. That's great. So Adam, round us out here. I appreciate your time in advance uh, for doing this and just your transparency and insight into this process for many local governments that probably have never really delved deep within public opinion research to know the power that it can have to influence uh, the, the policies that are being made within their jurisdiction. But as you wrap us up, can you talk a little bit about some of the most challenging parts of doing public opinion research and, and offering analysis to help, you know, lawmakers and city leaders make policy decisions and, and take us home by the takeaways, like for those that haven't, for governments that have not engaged with a deep 
um, analysis or public opinion or, or relied upon public opinion research in the past? Like, why should they start today? Sure. So first biggest challenges uh, are kind of a lot of their internal uh, of us matching that demographic in all those different communities. And sometimes, you know, we got to keep calling, emailing, texting, mailing until we get that last, you know, uh, black doctor who makes over $200,000 a year that lives, you know, in the suburbs that, that, you know, has six kids, right? I, I got to like, keep finding that demographic uh, and, and get that last person or two or 10. So it, it's not always easy, but that's our job and we do it. Um, also challenge, I, I think, at, at, uh, at the dais sometimes where the sometimes we deliver data that isn't exactly what they, they want to hear. And we've got to defend the, the, the science behind the research we've, we've collected. Um, and, and that's okay. We, we kind of enjoy that part, but it's definitely sometimes a challenge. Um, and, and, and as far as, uh, uh, you know, so that's kind of the, the big challenges we have. But in general, uh, I think government, uh, I, I think, wants to do good by their people. Like, it's kind of ingrained. And I think the media narrative is, you know, not doesn't say that exactly. Uh, but I think that's truly where government is. We want to do a good job. We want to want to serve our communities. And so I think the best way to do that is to have an understanding of how your community thinks and how they relate to you. And and the, the only way to do that accurately is to do it through a statistically valid survey through a pollster like me and not just us. Right. There's a lot of other researchers out there that do it really well. Um, I suggest you want someone who has, you know, experience with government versus, you know, just random market research for, for pop, soda pop. But uh, but there's, there's a whole bunch of us that know how to do this well. And, uh, and and so there's rationale to put a piece of budget in your in your next year's budget and make sure you've got the resources to do polling. Um, and if not, you know, call someone like me, said, I don't have a dime. We want to understand what people think. I guarantee you, you know, 90% of pollsters uh, will will give you an hour of their time and tell you how to do something locally without spending a dime because we want you to get from, you know, from doing nothing to doing something because eventually you'll be in a place to be able to do polling for real. Important. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. And again, I appreciate your time today. As, as we wrap up, I just want to say for all our listeners, again, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Local Government Insights podcast, Modernizing Government Leadership. Um, please stay tuned uh, for upcoming episodes and more local government news and insights to come. We look forward to having you next time. Adam, thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to Local Government Insights, Modernizing Government Leadership. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.